welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are witnesses. Amen? We are witnesses. This is our Easter proclamation. This is what we're focusing on in this season to be witnesses to all that God has done, not only in our lives, but in our world, and to be a witness to what God is doing. Equally important, what God is doing. We are witnesses to call and to notice what there is to see and hear around us, and then to share what we've seen and heard. Yeah, not complicated, but we do complicate it. Everyone is wearing clothes today. That's good. Clothes are good. Uh, we are pretty privileged in our culture. I don't think many of us wake up, any of us wake up and wonder if we'll have something to wear. We struggle with what to wear. What will be our choice and why? And it depends on the occasion. And what we wear affects how we feel. You chose to wear what you wore today because it made you feel either good enough or it made you feel really great. But you didn't grab something out of the dirty clothes hamper, right? You wouldn't have felt the same. And if you did, more power to you. <laughs> have you ever taken time to look at your clothing? And I invite you to look. I mean, look at a sleeve, look at a tie. Just look at and get a good hard look at your clothing and all that's going on in your garments. What kind of fabrics are you wearing? That might be a good question to think about. As good Bible-believing people... We don't wear more than one fabric at a time because that's strictly prohibited in Leviticus. Amen? Or maybe we do. But look at your clothes. Look at all the fibers and threads and strands. Look at the patterns and the colors. Look at the way, if you think about it, how miraculous it is. If you were to unthread your clothes into the threads they began from and then pictured how they came together to be on you, to fit you, to have the design and the color and the texture to give you that feeling you had when you put those on this morning. Think about the stitches that are very important. If you've ever busted a stitch, you know they are very important. We have variations of color, all sorts of things happening, and we don't even really think about that when we put our clothes on. There's kind of sort of a miracle. Someone created machines to spin the fibers into threads. Someone made machines to put those threads together into a weave, to cut to send the fabric. Someone made machines to stitch, to create sizes, to create patterns and colors, to put them on a shelf, bring them so that you can buy them. You and a hundred other people are wearing your clothes today, right? Somewhere. All of these things were created. It's kind of miraculous. If you imagine what someone from Paul's day or Peter's day looked at what we're wearing today, they would be astounded. And yet we often pull our clothes out and go, eh. I've worn this one so many times already. But it is quite miraculous if we just stop and notice what is always on us, that maybe we just don't stop to notice. We could extend this in a number of ways. How many of you lifted up a handle this morning or turned a knob and clean, drinkable water just came flowing out? You even got to adjust the temperature. How many of you pushed another handle and waste just disappeared? You didn't have to deal with it, hopefully. You opened a refrigerator, keeps things cold. We have lots of wonders in our lives, and I think we don't pay attention to them enough. 
You hold in your pocket or your purse a machine that is more powerful than what human beings on the moon. And you're probably thinking, ah, it's time to get a new one, right? Our life is a wonder. Our calling is no different. Sometimes it's just stopping noticing what often goes unnoticed. We're going to hear a passage today that focuses on two miracles that Peter is a part of. We're going to focus on the second one. Um, Just before the passage that we will read, Peter, now remember, this is chapter 9. Last week it was the conversion of Saul, and then it just switches scenes. And Peter, who had been in Jerusalem prior in the story, is now outside of Jerusalem, which is what Jesus said. Go from Jerusalem to Samaria to the whole world. Peter is now out of Jerusalem. He's in a place called Luda or Lida, depending on how you pronounce it, about 10 miles from the coast near Tel Aviv, where Tel Aviv would be today. And Peter is there witnessing. And he finds a man named Aeneas, who's been paralyzed in a bed for eight years. And Peter says to him, get up and make your bed. And Aeneas does. Praise God. Peter witnesses to the power of his faith. Aeneas stands up and the whole region sees, it says. That's the first of the two miracles. And so then, while Peter's in Lydda, he hears some people come. They're calling him to go to Joppa. Have you heard of the town Joppa before? Have you read the book of Jonah? Then you've heard of the town Joppa. Because Jonah was called to go to the enemy and to preach the message of repentance so that they would turn. Well, Jonah didn't want any hope for the enemy. So Jonah went to Joppa to sail away and go the opposite direction. And we know how that story went. It's as if you're supposed to hear the echo of the Jonah story about a change in calling when Peter goes to Joppa, because coming in the story after our passage, there's a change for Peter. But we're going to focus on our passage today, and so I want you to think about the astounding things that are lifted up in this miracle story that might go unnoticed. So let's hear the passage from Acts 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Her life overflowed with good works and compassionate acts on behalf of those in need. About that time, though, she became so ill that she died. After they washed her body, they laid her in an upstairs room. Since Ludah was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two people to Peter. They urged, please come right away. Peter went with them. Upon his arrival, he was taken to the upstairs room. All the widows stood beside him, crying as they showed the tunics and other clothing Dorcas made while she was alive. Peter sent everyone out of the room, then knelt and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then he called God's holy people, including the widows, and presented her alive to them. The news spread throughout Joppa, and many put their faith in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with a certain tanner named Simon. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Simon stayed with a tanner. That's a no-no in Jewish practice. He touched day and animals all the time, Simon the tanner, yet Simon goes to stay there. There's a change happening, but that's for another day. Today is about Tabitha. Tabitha. 
as she's known to the Israelite circles, Dorcas in the Greek circles, not a name you'd want today, but Tabitha, she's called a disciple by the writer. This is the only time in all of the New Testament scripture where there's a feminine rendering of the word disciple given to Tabitha. Luke didn't get the memo that there's a difference. Praise God for that. Amen? Luke tells us something very simple about Tabitha's life. Her life overflowed with good works and acts of compassion for those in need. So what we know of Tabitha, she's a disciple whose life overflows in good works and acts of compassion for those in need. If our life could be summed up in two things, would it measure up to Tabitha? She's quite quite the disciple. She was a witness. She was a witness to the widows around her. She noticed their story. She heard them. She saw them. And then she made their stories her own. She brought them together. We can deduct that Tabitha was a widow, even though it doesn't say that, because we know it was not her family that prepared her body when she died. Now, in that culture, if you don't have a man, you have no identity. You're just called a widow. She didn't have a son, no mention of a husband or a father, so she has no name. But it seems in Joppa there was a group of women who didn't play by culture's rules in What a testament to faith that is, because we know that Tabitha lived her life in service to others and defined herself by another term, which was disciple. One gift that she had was making clothes. If you had to make your shirt today, would you feel a little intimidated? Before there were machines to dye and to spin and to weave and to stitch, Tabitha made clothes for the people in her community. These community of widows were being connected together through garment. It's a miracle. Connecting together threads into wearable garments that fit, that are clean, don't have holes. It's a form of love and service that offers dignity to the people who wear them. I'm guessing they were fairly custom made. Tabitha will refer to her as a disciple, not to dishonor the pain and the grief that she has carried, but she lives a life as a disciple. We'll focus on what it is that she witnesses to about what she's found rather than solely on what she has lost. She created a church not to make a name for herself. If it weren't for this story, we would never know of Tabitha. She clothed the naked. She comforted the hurting. She did the things Jesus asked, and she created a community out of people whose lives had otherwise kind of come apart at the seams. She was loved and respected by her community, so much so that they are the ones that took care of her body. They washed her. Now notice they didn't anoint her. You're supposed to anoint a dead body. It's as if they knew she would not remain in that state, which is why they sent for Peter. Peter, come quick. And he did. And when he arrives, it's as if they stood in the room and said, Peter, look, look at the community that our dear sister has created. Look at the clothes she has made for us. Look at how much we love and respect her. Look how much we need her, Peter. Peter looked. He heard. He noticed. And then he did what he had seen his Lord do. He pushed everyone out of the room, said a prayer, and then he uttered the same words Jesus had uttered to a daughter who needed reviving. Get up, Tabitha. Get up. Quite a bold statement. 
But she did. And then Peter showed her to the group. They celebrated. And Peter just kind of wanders off, disappears. They're caught up in the joy of the moment of their torn fabric being brought back together by the reviving, by the miracle. And the whole region came to believe. What a story. What a witness. We could ask a thousand questions from this story. Aeneas and Tabitha were raised, but I'm sure there were many other people in those areas that were in need of healing. So why them? How did Peter know the miracle would happen? How did he know to say, Lord, if it's your will, raise this son, raise this daughter? No, he said, get up. He knew. What did these miracles mean? Most of the time, miracles have meaning assigned with them in our scripture. These don't. They're just there. Why did Luke put them in the story, and why here in the story? Why doesn't God work these kinds of miracles now? Because we know of people that are in need of this kind of miracle. We could spend a tapestry of questions in no time. But it's good to remember that our gospel writer Luke is spinning a tapestry of his own. Stories of the early church of Peter, and then Paul, and then back to Peter outside of Jerusalem, and then it's going to go on, and it's going to continue with Peter and Paul and Peter and Paul until finally... It's about Paul and what Paul does. It's tempting to want to work out the details of the story and understand it, because we like to do that, to reason and have some rationale. Luke seems to make it impossible. God seems to keep us guessing about when and where miracles might happen. We never know what might happen day to day, do we? You get up in the morning and just waking up and rolling over. You never know what's going to happen. Turning on the news, you never know what you're going to see. You encounter people, you never know. In life, and faith, in the church, in relationships, in the world, we don't know what one day might bring. Maybe that's why the story's told this way. We like to look to great names like Peter in the moments of uncertainty. We want to find the Peters to guide us and direct us because they're powerful. Everyone knows Peter's name. If we didn't have this story, you'd still know who Peter was. Without this story, we wouldn't know the name Tabitha. And while we want to look for Peter's in truth, both then and now, it's the Tabithas that bring the life of the church. Amen? It's the Tabithas who offer themselves and their simple gifts and acts of compassion and love. They ignore what society has to say, and they listen to the Lord. They may not be able to command others to get up. Maybe they could. We don't know. But they do inspire people to get up in different ways, to get up from the ruts they might find themselves in, to get up from the pain and the agony of mourning. She encourages them to get up and become something new all over again. It's the Tabithas who may not have statues made of them today, but they are the ones who formed communities long after the Peters left town. They are the ones that continued the communities. It's the Tabithas in our history who have always made the church breathe and live. Amen? Peter gave great testimonies, great sermons. He'd make a great pastor. But long after Peter moved on from any place, it's the Tabithas who remain. We've all heard of Peter's. We've applauded them, and it's good to applaud. But it's the Tabithas whom we have known who have truly known us. It's the Tabithas who have held our hands, who have caught our tears, who have let us lean upon them, 
They're the ones who have served us, written us cards, taught us as children, teach our children, teach adults. They remember us, they encourage us, they inspire us by their overflowing of service and acts of compassion for those in need. The Tabithas are the witness that the Holy Spirit is healing us all from whatever it is we're enduring and inviting us into something new to bring our simple gifts and become miraculous. And the good news is this Holy Spirit heals you, heals us, and calls us to get up from the rut you might find yourself in. The Holy Spirit raises us up to be Tabithas for others. So what are your gifts? Before today, would you have stood up proudly and said, I sow? I hope you would now. Will you use your gift, whatever it may be? Will you trust it was given to you for a purpose, for a reason? Will you trust to use it for the building of community? On a day we're thinking of women today, how appropriate to celebrate a Tabitha, one of those people that has woven the very fabric of who you are, of who I am, the character of who you are, not only of your life, but of the church life. Who is it that's been at work over these last 151 years? A couple Peters, a whole lot of Tabithas. We do ourselves a great service to stop every now and again. We can look at our clothes and be amazed, and that's great. But to look at the church, look around at the faces before you, at the hearts and love and service that has been given and continues to be given, we would be blown away by the miracles that are right in front of us if we just notice. It's the same with our own lives. Think about how you came to faith. Think about who's impacted you with their words. Who is it that's given you a listening ear? Whose example do you think of when you strive to be better? Who's had grace? Who's had simplicity? Who's had beauty in your life? Let us today remember all of the Tabithas. There have been thousands of them. Thousands of Tabithas for every Peter. All of them, Peters and Tabithas, worth celebrating. So consider the miracle, friends, of that which is already present and simply unnoticed. Consider the calling we have to get up, notice, and witness to these things. Trust your gift. Trust God. Be a Tabitha. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 